Welcome to Network, the show dedicated to helping pastors and churches cast the net of the gospel. I'm your host, Joel Sutherland, and Scott Smith uh, and I are here in studio today. And uh, today we're going to talk about evangelistic preaching. How can a pastor preach more evangelistically week in and week out? We've got with us a special guest today, Braxton Hunter, who is a uh, an evangelist that sees many people saved when he's out on the road. I've used Braxton uh, many times in my own church when I was a pastor and seen many people saved. That's just a little bit about who he is. Braxton, welcome to the network recording today. Hey, Joel, Scott, glad to talk to you guys. We're glad you're here. Now, Braxton, before we dive in, I, I called you an evangelist, and that is 100% true, but you are also more diverse than that. Tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your family and what you do day in and day out. Well, I say that I'm in full-time evangelism because usually every week I'm on the road preaching in different churches and conferences and things like that. Um, but um, I have a passion for Christian apologetics, and I've used that to try and uh, make sure that my evangelistic ministry doesn't fall on deaf ears when I'm talking with skeptics and um, and people of other uh, of other faiths and things like that. But also, I teach Christian apologetics and evangelism at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary, where I'm executive vice president. And when I'm on the road, I'm also teaching webinars and things like those. Uh, those sorts of resources are available. And so I want to make sure that not only am I doing evangelism, but I want to make sure that um, that I can help equip pastors and people in other areas of ministry to accomplish that goal as well. Yeah, Braxton is very diverse, very uh, technology savvy in what he does and what they do uh, at Trinity. And if you'll hang on to the very end as you're listening to this, we're going to tell you how you can get an incredible discount on some things they're offering to help you be more evangelistic. And we'll tell you that at the end. Braxton, we want to dive right in and talk about how can a pastor preach more evangelistically week in and week out so he can see people saved in his church. Do you have some ideas for our pastors who are listening in? Absolutely. Um, you know, when I was pastoring, I pastored for five years, and even now the church that I attend, I, I, when I'm not on the road, I, I preach there, and that's more of a pastoral situation for me than what I am doing when a church has called me to come and specifically hold an evangelistic event. And so when, when I preach uh, in a pastoral setting like that, I still want to be evangelistic, and I know our pastors want to do the same. And there are a few principles that I think will help with that. And Joel, the first thing that, that I always try to do, and this is really true in any time you preach, but um, in an evangelistic setting when you want to see people saved and you believe God's leading that way, I think it's important to foster a sense of urgency that surrounds the whole event, the whole day, the, the music, the sermon. But the thing that you directly have the most control over is what you say in the pulpit as the pastor. And I think um, there are some ways to create that sense of urgency. One of those things that I've found is when I get up into the pulpit, I try not to comment too much on uh, what the music was like or other things that are going on in the life of the church. All those sorts of things can be taken care of during the announcement time or at other parts of the service or even at the end of the service. But when I get up into the uh, pulpit, even if there's just been a powerful, amazing uh, musical piece that's just been played, I jump right in to the preaching of the gospel, because I want people to understand that what we're talking about today is of the utmost importance. 
it not only affects um, how to have a, a happy Christian life and live for God and serve Him and accomplish the goals that He has for you as a believer, but since we know there are unbelievers out there, and, and that's what we want to see is, is unbelievers coming to know Christ, um, this is the most important issue that we'll, that we'll ever talk about. And so for that reason, I want them to see from the jump that this is, this is vital for you, and it's more important than commenting on other things that are happening. I try to talk a little bit about uh, something that's either um, a human interest story or something that's going on in culture right now that's going to back up what I'm trying to say. I'll try to say something funny, but something to catch the attention right from the beginning. I think that sense of urgency needs to be carried on throughout the entirety of, of your time preaching, right on into a gospel invitation. So, so Braxton, so you're saying you're saying a pastor yeah. shouldn't get up and say right before he preaches, who had a birthday today? <laughs> That's mm-hmm. right. I, I think, uh, you know, you get up and uh, let's sing happy birthday to Brother Jones over here, or isn't it great to see that this couple that we love in our church is having their 50th wedding anniversary? Oh, that's great, but those are things that, that don't need to take place during uh, the beginning of a, a, a moment where you really want to draw people to a decision. That's good. Now, I, I said that tongue-in-cheek, and it's actually happened to me. I've been in a church, and they <laughs> sung happy birthday right before I got up to preach. And so, you know, that's hard. That's really, really hard to go to the pulpit. And someone else did it to me, but um, a pastor can do that to himself. He can he can lose that sense of urgency by doing trivial things when he steps into the pulpit. Right, and, and I can anticipate that some people may wonder about this. Well, you know, when you're creating a sense of urgency like that, aren't you playing on the emotions of the people? And I want to say that um, if, if, if by that we mean are we being manipulative, certainly not. But we have to understand that God created us as emotional people. That is a part of who we are, and it's a part of what drives our decisions. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with that. The fact is, if in your preaching you sound like you're explaining on a YouTube video how to install wallpaper, well, then, then it's not going to be taken very seriously or seen as a, a, an absolutely vital thing that a person needs to do today. And so um, that's, that's one of the things that I take into the pulpit every time I preach, is I want to create a, a sense in these people that this is the most important thing they're going to hear today and the most important thing they're going to co- contemplate for the rest of their lives. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's good. So week in and week out, a pastor, when he goes to the pulpit, can create a sense of urgency. But let, let me say it this way as well. It's important he has a sense of urgency in order to create a sense of urgency, isn't it? Oh, certainly. In fact, um, you know, obviously, because I feel the call to the Ephesians 4.11 call to be an evangelist, I I have that kind of built in. When I was pastoring, um, we we saw a lot of baptisms, and usually every week I, I was pushing for that sort of a decision, and I think we always should present the gospel and push for that sort of decision. But with me, it just came naturally because I think that's part of the DNA that God made me with my spiritual DNA. So, you know, for someone who has the call uh, to be a pastor or to be a teacher, um, maybe that's something they need to actually recognize and consciously think about, and in their prayer time, which we'll talk about in a minute, really focus on. So, I think that sense of urgency is very important. But that leads into the, um, to, to the next thing that I think is key, and that is to preach with that goal in mind. Now, again, this is 
some things that, you know, you learn in simple hermeneutics for any message. But when you're preaching to see someone saved, you want to preach with that goal in mind. And every illustration you use, if you use illustrations, all the scripture you use, everything you say should be pointing toward that end. And I think that's very helpful. I, I encourage pastors to think about what God used to motivate them to the point of salvation and think consciously. Sit down at your desk when you're preparing the sermon and think about what has God used in your own messages or in other people's messages in the past, and you've seen God use that uh, to, to bring a person to the moment of salvation. And again, this is not being manipulative. This is a part of how God made you. This is, you know, you're preaching this message because God puts you in this position. God calls you to this ministry. And just like with Scripture, it's all God breathes, but God used the personalities, the experiences of those men who wrote that Scripture. And in the same way, He can use your personality and your experiences uh, to do the same. So preaching with a goal in mind will keep you from getting off on rabbit trails. And I have to fight that. I'm a Southern Baptist evangelist. That's one of the things we do best is rabbit trails, you know. But, um, but I, I have to fight that, and that's, that, that'll keep you on track um, working toward that moment where that person will come to Christ. That's good. So, so uh, you're saying a pastor should almost assume there are lost people in the building who need to be saved and, and turn his message towards that end that so, whoever there is you know, lost will be saved that day. That's right, and that you know, uh, you're kind of hitting on my fourth point here, which is you should preach to everyone. I really think that I, I you know, when it, whenever I'm preaching to a, a, we have a Wednesday night group at our home church, and if I'm ever home on a Wednesday night, I'll, I'll teach that class, and we just go expository, do expository studies through books of the Bible, and I know the personal experiences, I know the personal uh, testimonies of those that are in that group. It's not a very big group at our church, and so. Um, I could, though, though you would think you can never say this, and we, we preachers and pastors never want to say this, but I, I could actually be pretty confident in saying, I think everyone in this room right now, as best I can tell, is probably saved. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, even there, I try to preach to everyone. I, I don't ever preach a message that is uh, such that if there's a saved person there, for example, then they wouldn't get anything out of this because I'm strictly being evangelistic. And the alternate is also true. I don't ever preach a message that su- such that if there's a lost person there, they wouldn't see that opportunity and the importance in being saved. Um, a good example of this is I have a sermon on the fear of God, and you would expect that from a Hellfire and Brimstone <laughs> Southern Baptist Evangelist, wouldn't right. you? we got to have a sermon on the fear of God. But um, in my sermon on the fear of God, I like to point out that Scripture teaches that for the saved person, for the believer, the fear of God is vitally important in that our God is a God to be respected, revered. We should, um, we should recognize His disciplining hand, which I think is, we miss that point so much in the Church today. But at the same time, a lost person should fear God. But a lost person should fear God for an entirely different reason than a saved person fears God. Namely, in Luke chapter 12 and verse 4, Jesus teaches that the lost person should fear God because of the reality of a place called hell. And so I think it's good to recognize in a message, you need to preach to both of those kinds of people, saved and the lost, in every message, but especially in an evangelistic message like this. So, uh, Braxton, we're, we're talking to pastors, and pastoral preaching is, 
you know, a little different than, uh, evan- you know, an evangelist, how he preaches week in and week out. Uh, when a pastor preaches, probably 80% of his sermons are going to be directed towards uh, the saved crowd, so to speak. But even what you're saying here to that pastor is uh, don't preach a message that is 100% content to the saved. Find a way to work a a message inside the message to the people who in the building who are lost. That's absolutely right. Um, You know, one of the most uh, directly Christian or church-oriented messages that I I have preached and, and God has used and I preached it at your church, Joel, and I preached it at the Evangelism Conference, is a message out of the book of Haggai on rebuilding God's house. Now, um, without re-preaching that message on your broadcast, uh, that is a message, the principles of which are really um, focused on uh, the saved and focused on those who believe in God today. Yet at the same time, by the time I get to the end of that message, I've pointed out, I titled that message, Get Up and Do Something, and um, by the end of that message, I'm saying, yes, Christians need to get up and do something to build God's house. Yet at the same time, if you're a lost person here today, what you need to get up and do is become a part of God's house. So there are things like that that can very simply be done and easily be done uh, to preach to both. And here's a practical, here's a real good practical reason for preaching to both every time. It may be that the pastor, 80% of his messages are going to be directed towards um, the needs of his church and the people of his church. Yet, if he plans on giving a gospel invitation, and I'm one of those, I, I'm a young guy, but I guess I'm kind of old-fashioned in this, I personally like the idea of giving a, a moment where a person can respond to the gospel, maybe even come to the altar in a gospel invitation, uh, every chance every chance we get. Every time we preach corporately, I, I think that's a good idea. Now, now, maybe you don't feel that way. Maybe the, maybe the folks listening, I mean, don't feel that way, but I know I do, but mm-hmm. if you preach that way, if that's, if that's how you conduct your services, and you only preach to the lost, they may or may not respond to that invitation if, if they're the only ones who are being called to a decision. Mm. Now, again, we have to walk the line. We don't want to be manipulative here, but the fact is, if there are a number of believers who you have also preached to who are coming to the altar to talk to God about issues in their lives or maybe seek counseling from the pastor at the end of that service, it's going to be a lot more uh, comfortable. It's going to be a lot more easy for that, um, that lost person to say, well, I'm not the only one moving forward. I-, I can go talk to that pastor as well. And so there's a real practical reason besides all of the spiritual reasons we've discussed. Well, and Braxton Scott, I want Scott to comment on that. He and I were just talking about that the other day. We're, I'm a big believer in gospel invitation. And Scott and I were just talking about improving our invitation and so that people are moving before we call them to move. Isn't that right, Scott? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and they're there, you know, we're, we want to, we want to condition, uh, we want to. I call it kind of greasing the skids for for the invitation. Um, in other words, we want to make it okay to move. Mm-hmm. We want to make it feel okay to uh, to to follow the leadership of the pastor. If that if he directs a certain way, that it's okay to do that. If it's if it if it's appropriate for me to do that. If it, if I'm lost, that I could move forward, or that I could move out, or I could go to the front, or even the back, wherever you have someone stationed to to talk to. Or if I'm a believer, that it's okay for me to go ask for the prayer that I need or whatever. So I think cultivating that atmosphere of freedom to respond is is crucial. And there are a number of ways 
to do that, but I think we need to be intentional about that. Yeah, we, we live in a culture now, guys, where uh, when when we're traditionalists, and so when we hear the term come forward, we we know, the three of us, nothing weird is going to happen up front. But for an unbeliever who comes into the building who maybe has never been in church before, they have no idea what is going to transpire if they walk down to the front. And so sometimes it's good to let them see other people moving, like you just said, Braxton. Okay, that guy went down there, and he didn't disappear, or they didn't do some weird chant over him or, or something. And uh, that gives me freedom to be able to do the same. One of the biggest mistakes we make is we take too much for granted. Um, you know, Joel and I jokingly call it the curse of knowledge. In other words, we, we know what's going to happen in an altar call because we've grown up in this, and we've preached for years, and you have too, Braxton, you know that. And so we, we almost have to remember the culture's changing. We have people coming to church with no church background at times, and then we're giving them some kind of quote-unquote invitation. What They don't know what to do with that, so add a little more detail in, in the instruction. So, for instance, you can kind of give them a, a picture of what's going to happen. Hey, uh, we want you to, if you prayed that prayer just then and you meant what you prayed, you, you've given your heart to Christ, we want you to come down and, and there are two men down here or you know, there's two men and two women down front. We want you to come to them, and they're gonna they're gonna take you by the hand. They're gonna pray with you, and and they're gonna they're gonna uh, just take record of your decision. And we're just gonna rejoice with you. Give them a picture, mental picture, a mentally safe picture of what's going to happen at the fill in the blank for them. Mm, mm, uh, that's a, good. Word. A confused mind always says no. And so the more confusion we can take out about what they're about to expect, the more likely they're going to say yes and respond in the way we're asking them to. That's good. You know, you're right. There's something that is so appropriate to that that just happened to me yesterday. Yesterday morning I was preaching in a church here in uh, Wadesboro, North Carolina. And um, when, I, when I finished preaching, we had a good response. We had several people come to Christ. And afterwards, a tall, very built uh, guy who, who had just gotten out of uh, jail uh, came came up to me and he said, "If it weren't for other people going forward, I wouldn't have gone forward because I thought if he sends me out to talk to that guy out that door like he says he might, then I, you know how do I know they're not going to do some weird experiment on me or something?" Wow, you know, like, that's laugh. so good. Mm-hmm. But but that's, that's so exactly good. what you've just described. Yeah. So I, you know this you know this leads to um, there's a couple of things I want to say about this. I, I don't know if you have time for this, but I sure. want to give you um. Um, a, a list of do's and don'ts that I have for giving a doctrinally sound gospel invitation. Good. First of all, I think it's biblical to give these gospel invitations. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19 shows Jesus extending an invitation for people to follow him if they've heard his message. Acts chapter 8, verses 36 through 38, we see Philip encountering the eunuch and invites him to make a decision for Christ. Um, and there are other passages like that. So, Here's my list of do's for the gospel invitation. Um, guide them to a moment of decision as you preach, and we've talked about that. But be as specific as is appropriate to be. You know, when you're when you're talking to them about what's going to happen and what what they need to understand about salvation, we need to be, of course, very specific. And then make it clear what is going to happen. You just been, you guys have just been talking about that. And so we don't need to go over that anymore, but they need to understand what's going to happen when they come come to the altar. And then speak to the people and not to the back wall. When I have people, I mean, this is good for preaching, but when I have people at the altar and I'm talking to them as a group, 
I'm, I'm talking to them. I'm making eye contact, and that's even easier to do when they're at the altar. Mm. And um, you can see their tears, and you can see things going through their mind, and so I think that's vital. And then explain why this is necessary. I, I explain why it's necessary that they talk to someone about this, why it's good that they talk to a, one of our counselors or, or, or uh, talk to the pastor about what's going on, because the first voice they're going to hear in their mind when they walk out the door is the voice of Satan saying to them, that was nothing in there but a bunch of emotion. That preacher tricked you with all his winsome words and good looks and, and all that. And so um, I, I try to encourage them that it is important that they talk to someone, a counselor or the pastor, and tell them, hey, I gave my heart to Jesus today. I got saved. I think that's very important. And then um, we've talked about creating a sense of urgency, and I actually tell them not to stop listening. You know, this is, um, you've heard me do this, Joel, but, but when I'm talking to a group, you can kind of see and you can kind of sense when people might be starting to get glazed over. Or at the altar, you have this issue that, that is so sweet, but at the same time can be a problem where people want to run up and wrap their arms around that person that came forward and start talking to them and, and, and all those things. And that's great. I'm glad we have caring people in our churches. But I actually say, look, if you're at the altar, I want you to listen to me right now. I want to talk to you um, directly. So listen to me, and I, I tell them that. And I make it clear that you're speaking to everyone. We've talked about that. And then I remind them that no other listener's opinion matters. I'm not talking to the person behind them or in front of them, and there's nobody and no thing going on in the world right now that is worth you uh, not giving your heart to Jesus, not coming forward, um, not following through. There's nothing, nobody's opinion, not what some church person thinks. So those are some do's, and the don't list is very short. You should never be manipulative. We know that. Now, you can be systematic without being manipulative. I think that's important to highlight. Never be vague about what they are to do. Don't let your ego get involved. You know, I think sometimes pastors and evangelists alike tend to think, if I don't have a bunch of people down here at the altar making a decision, that's going to make it look like this super-duper sermon that I was so excited about was just not that good. <laughs> you can't let your ego get involved, or else you will lapse into being manipulative, whether you mean to or not. Um, never ask everyone to come to the altar just so the altar looks full. That goes along the same lines. Don't drag out the invitation if the Spirit is not moving. You know, it may be that despite our best efforts, it's just not the right day, and we need to recognize that and not sing 50 verses of a, of a worship song to try and force someone to make a decision that, on my theology, God's not going to uh, force them to do. Um, and then I never do anything that might unnecessarily embarrass them. Don't instruct individuals individuals to come. I don't even—now, this is where pastors may, may, you know, do things differently, but with me, I don't even have people come and kneel at the altar in a specifically evangelistic invitation— I want them to come and stand because, quite frankly, a lost person doesn't even know really why they're kneeling mm, yet, because good. they don't know the Lord. And then finally, never use the invitation as a chance to try out various styles. <laughs> Figure out what you're going to do ahead of time. Don't use these poor people who are lost and need to be saved as your guinea pigs. And I think that's why, ultimately, a podcast like this and a discussion like this is helpful. So that's my list of do's and don'ts there. Well, let, uh, let me back and, up. And, let me uh, back up. Let me back up and comment on a couple of those. Um, uh, one, one, just so there's no confusion, you said, you know, don't ever call anyone forward. It's okay for a pastor to call everyone forward, not to stack the altar call though. So, so, so for example, he may be preaching a message primarily to the saved. You've already given the, the, uh, the invitation to the lost. And now that's kind of concluded. 
and then you may want to call everyone in the church forward to pray for a lost friend or do something like that. You're not against that kind of maneuver. Uh, that maneuver is not the right word to use there. You're not against that kind no, of altar ab- call, ab- but you're just saying absolutely. don't call everyone forward to make it look like you had a giant response. Absolutely. That's exactly right. That's why I mentioned that in the vein of being manipulative. You know, we don't want to we don't want to do one of these things where we say, well, if you love Jesus, you need to come to the altar this morning just so the pastor feels good about what happened. I always say if you if you love your mama, come forward. You don't think that's that's <laughs> good. So um, and then another thing was, uh, you know, don't try out styles. I know one thing pastors are really guilty of is we'll spend hours and hours preparing for a sermon and we never give the altar call a thought going into it. And so just as a pastor is preparing that sermon, he may want to do a different kind of altar call this Sunday, but prepare for it before you get there so you're not winging it in the pulpit. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. We don't want to get in the midst of it and then just uh, you know think of ways that we can, well, nobody came forward. I, I watched a particular evangelist, and I won't name his name, uh, but I, I watched him at a church service I was at. It was a very large church, and a couple of people came forward, and he wasn't happy with that, so he changed gears, and he said, well, why don't, why, I want everyone to just look at the person next to them and say to them, hey, uh, why don't you go forward with me if you have any desire mm-hmm. to do so? And that mm-hmm. didn't work, and so he tried four or five different things. And you have to recognize sometimes that, look, we need to be careful not to try and make things happen from our end mm-hmm. and let the Spirit move. So that's a good caveat you put there. And then I guess the final thing that I, that I think is important, and it would be a mistake if we didn't end uh, if we didn't end this discussion talking about this, is that this whole thing needs to be bathed in prayer by the minister before he ever steps into the pulpit. Um, and I know you guys would agree with that. My father used to pastor um, a really large church in Jacksonville, Florida, North Jacksonville Baptist Church. And he had the great evangelist who's passed away now, Hyman Appleman, Jewish evangelist, came and preached. And my father was so excited for his people to hear this, and, uh, and uh, 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 Hyman Appleman got up and preached. And my father said, I-, I sat there in horror because this was the most boring sermon I had ever <laughs> heard preached. And he said, I thought, my people are just not going to respond to this. And to his surprise, at the end of the service, people just flooded to the altar, and they had many, many people saved that day. And on the way back to the airport, Hyman Appleman looked over at him and said, I know what you were thinking. You thought God was done with this old preacher. But he said, the Bible says that the fervent prayer of a righteous man, a righteous man, availeth much. Mm. And so he said, I got down on my bedside at 5 o'clock in the morning, while you were over there in the parsonage, sleeping happily under the comforter. And he said, because I didn't know if you were him, and I was going to be him. I was going to be that righteous man. And I prayed, and God honored that. And I have remembered that story so many times as I have prepared to preach. It is so vital that we bathe every aspect of this in prayer to God, that His will would be done, and that we would act as He would have us act. That's powerful. That's a great story. I think um, one of the things that, that kind of comes to mind, and if if I may play devil's advocate, and I, there's got to be a better term for that. Why do we even say? <laughs> I don't know. Devil, no, no I, I, play play the devil. play the the other side a little bit. You gave us a fantastic list of do's and don'ts, and then at the end, you just gave us a fantastic story about relying on the Lord through prayer. What do you say to the guy that says, "Well, if if they're really..." 
You know, if God's really convicting their heart to be saved, we don't need all that. If we say come forward, they'll come forward. If we give an invitation, they'll respond. Uh, We don't have to worry about all these little uh, tweaks and nuances. We just need to stand up, boldly proclaim, give an invitation. If God's really working in their heart, they're going to come down, and that's all that matters. So how do you respond to that, Braxton? The way I would respond to that is that I know this has become a sort of demonized phrase, uh, but I have held on my whole life to the idea that we ought to pray because it all depends on God, but then work as though it all depends on us. As I said a while ago, we God has chosen to use us as individuals uh, to preach His gospel. And so for that reason, I think preparation in this area is vital. And those thoughts that you have, I think are, you know, in preparation and listening to a podcast like this and studying how God has used other men and other services, I think that's all a part of the way that God brings these things about. Yes, he convicts the Spirit and all of that, but I think he uses this preparation. And so I think that 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 all goes into that. It's not as though this is me doing my part and God's going to do his part. I think God ought to be involved through you in how it all comes together. And so I think that for that reason, this sort of preparation is valid. Braxton, before we go and move on to another subject here, um, I, I want to see if I get this correct, because I, when you did this at my church, I thought, wow, that's a lot of faith for an evangelist to do that. But when you're calling God, when you're calling the lost forward at an invitation, you don't call them forward to come down and speak with a counselor. You call them forward and say, come stand right in front of me. And then you just leave those people standing up in front of you until you feel like the last person has come down. Then you you clearly explain the gospel very briefly to them. You've already done it, but you do it briefly again. And then you lead them in prayer while they're standing there. And then you send them out the door with a counselor to do the follow-up and uh, follow-up conversations. Is Do I have that correct on how you do the invitation just kind of in a nutshell? It is. Um, now, this is where I mentioned a while ago, a pastor, uh, because he knows the people in his church, and he's the one who will end up talking to them later on, you know, in his situation, he may do this a little bit differently. For me, I never know what the counselor is going to say to that person. And though I respect the churches that I preach in, and I thank God for the people that they've chosen as counselors, I want to make sure that, that, that when I send them off to the counselor, that the, the, you know, the bulk of what needs to be said has already been said, so that they're not going to get confused in talking to that counselor. And uh, I want to I want to make a, a comment on, on that. When I when when someone comes forward for salvation and they stand there at the altar, um, once I get to the point where the people that are going to come forward, it seems like have come forward, I, I explain to them what repentance is. I explain to the group in front of the whole church what um, how this whole thing works, and, and I go through Romans chapter ten verse nine that. You know, that we believe that there's two things that are vitally important here. Number one, that you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that God raised Jesus from the dead for you, and that you need to confess this. And then I tell them, and so I think it's very imp- appropriate that you, the first person you confess this to is God himself, repenting, believing, and asking him to save you today and committing your life to him. But here is the key, and this will save so much, so many headaches with people that may be critical in our churches, and unfortunately there are people like that. I tell them, I say, there's nothing magical about saying a bunch of words after a preacher. 
if you're not genuinely drawn of God here and, and ready to pray and be saved, and, and that's you're ready to make that commitment for your whole life. There's nothing magical about doing a ritual, which is what that is if you're just saying a bunch of words, the sinner's prayer, and there's nothing behind it. So I explain to them the content of that prayer, and then I say, so you're free to pray your own prayer to God, expressing that, but I can lead you in a prayer asking Jesus to save you, but you have got to understand that that it is not some mindless prayer that, that I've explained to you what, what you're praying and what you're doing, and it's got to be something real that's happening in your life. And that is a very important caveat, because we are we know that, that specifically in our convention we have a lot of people that are saying, well, you just can't just you know have some people repeat words after you and therefore they're saved, and I agree 100% with that. So, but yes, that that's how I handle that. But a pastor who knows that he can trust uh, his counselors or he knows he's going to talk to them later, maybe he can frame that up a little bit differently. But I don't have them kneel, and that's only because I think that a uh, a person who lost goes forward kneels. Number one, they're harder to identify. It's easier for them to walk back to the pew with the people that came forward for other reasons and then also they don't know what they're kneeling for because they've never been saved that's good and and look we've all been in churches scott you're an evangelist braxton I, i'm preaching a lot of churches um i didn't trust the counselors uh, as a matter of fact i've seen people weeping in the pews uh, over their lost soul and come down and speak to a counselor and when i go ask the counselor what happened the counselor's like oh they just they just wanted to pray you know i wasn't really sure and i'm like oh my gosh you dropped <laughs> uh, that's somebody's soul right there that you just, you know, and, and it's not, it's, they're, they're not doing it on purpose. They just, a lot of counselors are uncomfortable. Can I say it this way? In a move of God that may be taking place in their service. They just really don't know how to deal with, with that. And so uh, I, I like what you do, especially uh, for a pastor to say, well, I can't do that every week. Well, maybe not, but, but if a pastor has a, and you know, back to church Sunday like we just had, where there may be a lot of lost people in the building, or an Easter Sunday where there may be a lot of lost people in the building. That is a good way to do the invitation, and uh, you know, you take care of the process, so to speak. Then let them go off with uh, folks after that. So absolutely, when I pa- when I pastored, I pastored a church of about five hundred by the time I left, and we had eighty baptisms a year. And the reason for that was because I ha- I'm a big believer in special event days like you just described, and it's on those days that a pastor can really pull out all the stops mm-hmm. and give one of these evangelistic sermons and invitations and uh, treat it as though he's an evangelist. And that will, of course, help him if he asked to go do a revival himself. Sure. All right, now, Braxton, before we go, uh, talk about Trinity Seminary a little bit. Now, for guys who are not familiar with Trinity, Trinity is a real cutting-edge seminary. Uh, you're involved with... Um, online learning and i know you just mentioned earlier in the broadcast you do a lot of webinars for teaching and trinity specifically has some things that can help guys with evangelism and evangelistic preaching tell us a little bit about that braxton sure joel um trinity is a non-denominational school but we are southern baptist in doctrine and uh, the number of guys, as you know, Joel, and probably you know, Scott, the number of guys that are in the Southern Baptist Convention with Trinity degrees is humongous. And it is a 100% distance learning school. We do most of our teaching um, uh, via webinar, where you sit in front of a screen and you see the professor live. You can ask questions and things like that. And we do offer uh, a lot of evangelistic um, uh, uh, programs and, and courses and things like that. 
And you can you can sign up at Trinity, of course, and take those as a program and get a degree, or you can audit some of these courses. And I would recommend that you do that. Uh, one of our uh, most popular courses is called Strategies for Personal Evangelism, and that'll that'll give you um, some great ideas uh, that are maybe a little bit deeper than what you would get just you know picking up a a popular level book. And then you can share those things with your church and your preaching or in your own personal evangelism classes. Um, evangelistic preaching is a course that I remember taking during my bachelor work and really taught me a lot of the things that, that I've presented here and, and uh, have, has really served me well. We have a class for global missions. Um, if you're considering becoming a missionary or currently are a missionary, uh, this is a great class to help you with that and help you get the principles you need for doing missions uh, in North America and around the world. And then we have um, some church growth courses and things like that, and of course evangelism plays a big part in those courses. And um, I have a special—I got permission to do this. I have a special—we have in-house grants and things like that, but if, if, you're, if you call Trinity because of this podcast and— uh, talk to them. I sound like I'm doing an infomercial here. It's all right. I wanted you if to. You call, <laughs> but if you call Trinity uh, and and say that you're calling because of this podcast, we'll give you a 35 percent discount wow. for students that sign up because of this podcast for th- for at least three courses. But then I heard back from Trinity that they would be willing to give a 35 percent discount even for people that want to just audit courses. And so that is unheard of. We've never done that before. And so I'm so excited to tell you all about that. I should say, though, if you you are considering becoming a student at Trinity, or you might consider Trinity as a possibility, um, if if you uh, are a veteran or currently are a missionary, we give 40% off across the board for people in, in that situation. Wow. And so if it's all right with you, Joe, I'll go ahead and give the number that someone could call if if they want to do that. Um, It's 1-800-457-5510. 1-800-457-5510. And I would say if you're a pastor listening to this and you've got the time to do it, at the minimum, sign up for that evangelistic preaching course and, you know, just use it as a refresher or use it to pour new information into your life. Braxton, I know Trinity uh, does its best to stay uh, on top of the culture, on top of the cutting edge, and you're constantly reworking these classes to make them better and better uh, for the guys that want to sign up for them. Absolutely, that's right. We, we have several different options for how someone can take a course at Trinity. Maybe a webinar isn't suitable for you. We have other options. I think there's something there for whatever your schedule is. That, that's awesome. So trinitysem.edu or 1-800-457-5510. You can really, maybe you have a seminary degree and now's the time to brush up, or maybe uh, you don't, and this would really pour into your life. I, I think that's a great option. 35% off, you really can't beat that. And so sign up. Braxton, you've been a joy to interview today. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Joel. Thanks, Scott. Yes, absolutely, Braxton. Thank you for your time. And for pastors listening in today, I just want to remind you to find out about our REACH 2014 Evangelism Conferences 
be sure and go to gbcevangelismconferences.com. There's all the information you need. I'm Joel. I'm Scott. Thanks for listening to Network Today.